If you are someone who struggles with an online gambling addiction, please take advantage of Gamban. Gamban is blocking software that will block gambling websites and gambling apps from your phone, your tablet, and your computer. Please go to Gamban.com for more information. And if you are in the UK, please take advantage of TalkBand Stop. Hello and welcome to All In the Addicted Gamblers Podcast. My name is Brian and I haven't placed a bet since July of 2014. My name is Jeff. I haven't placed a bet since July of 2015. Jeff, it's July of 2021. We're doing all right. Wow. It's hard to believe. Coming up on our anniversary. Wow. Uh, Jeff, we got somebody brand new to recovery with us today who reached out and couldn't be a nicer gentleman. And he's here today to tell everybody about his daily fantasy sports interactions and what that led him to steve welcome to the podcast thanks for doing this hey guys thanks for having me on i appreciate you letting me on here you you had emailed and you said you know i haven't heard anybody talk much about daily fantasy and i I think we dabble in it but i don't think we've ever had somebody with with your experience with it but first let's just talk about your addiction in general and how that developed and what happened so can you just tell us about yourself steve yeah um i'm 37 um married two kids a great wife um you know I, uh, I started gambling, um, you know, I, I didn't start with the fantasy sports until 2017 with the FanDuel and the DraftKings. But before that, um, you know, I played the free fantasy on ESPN. I would play um, the season long with my best friends, you know, and that never was an issue. You know, $75 buy-in. It was just fun to do. Um, didn't really start until 2017 when uh, I started to play FanDuel. Um, we had moved into my parents' house earlier that year. We were, you know, we were trying to stay for a house. Uh, you know, um, we just uh, were having some hard times financially. We lived on Long Island. It was expensive. So uh, we just, uh, we moved in there just to try to save some money for a house. And a few months down the line, I just started to really start to doubt myself. I felt like I wasn't doing enough financially. I felt like I was, you know, I was working my butt off at my job, working 12, 14, 16 hours a day. I just felt like we weren't saving enough. Things were getting kind of tough at my parents' house. My wife wanted to get out of there. You know, it was just strained. So uh, unfortunately, yeah, good. Sorry, Steve. I just wanted to clarify how much you're working because you said 12, 14, 16 hour days. Yeah, that was- How many hours a week do you work? Now I work about 70 hours a week, just about every week. You know, I'm going at- four or five, sometimes six, and I'm not getting home till 10, 11 o'clock at night. So, you know. So there's not I, a lot of free time. No, no. Back then when we lived on Long Island, I probably worked about 60 hours a week. Now that we're upstate New York, uh, I work 70 hours every single week. So that's a lot. I can see why when you have the opportunity to escape that, you would take it. Yeah. I'm from Long Island, uh, Steve. Where, where, whereabouts in Long Island did you live? I lived out on the East End. I lived in a town called Southhold. That's where I was born and grew up, um, by Riverhead and the wow. Southhold campus. So, the other, the other Long Island. That's it. Yeah. You know, yeah. people from Long Island, you know, didn't even know that that existed in, until the Hamptons came into play. Exactly. So, um, so yeah. So uh, that's when I I decided to try Fanduel. It was the beginning of the 2017 football season. I thought, all right, let me just, if I could just get this big win, this could fix everything. You know, I, I had done well in my season longs, you know, for years, I, I came in second place, I think three years in a row and it would drive me crazy that I had this great team 
all year long making the right decisions. And, you know, first prize was something like $750 and second prize was 250, you know? So I thought, you know, I knew what I was doing. I researched the players. I knew all the players. I, I just felt like I had that knowledge of sport. And that's the thing they, you know, they, they tell us that it's a game of skill. And even though there is a lot of skill in it, I mean, it's, it's similar to poker. You can study it. You can get better at it. You can be better than others at it, but it's still gambling at the, at the end of the day, you're, you're going into something you you might do research, put a lineup together, but once the game locks and it goes, you don't know if your star player is going to get hurt. It's, it's a gamble. So the fact that they call it a game of skill. Yeah. Okay, it might be a game of skill, but you're still you're still gambling. You know, you um, you know, being in New York, that's how they got around the um, prohibition on gambling. And my understanding is in New York, they have to actually have a uh, have a vote on whether or not there's going to be a constitutional amendment. When I say constitution, the New York Constitution prohibits gambling. So they have to have a vote whether or not to amend the Constitution allow gambling which they've done and um uh, FanDuel and DraftKings I believe um just started to do business and they took the position that it's not gambling as you said it was a game of skill and that went through the courts and I think it's still pending somewhere up in you know up in the court system in New York and you know the irony of course is that now that the those two operators have expanded into traditional gambling on their site so they can't really say that uh they don't uh you know promote gambling at all yeah they do sports betting now i know we couldn't do that in new york but i don't even think i would have done that uh maybe i would have gotten into that i have no idea but it was always the fantasy sports for me um i remember i remember i remember distinctly you know the beginning of that football season i think i deposited 100 bucks the first time um and I remember doing that first Sunday and I, I used Aaron Rodgers for my quarterback. And I can't remember if it was Jordy Nelson or Devontae Adams, but I had those two in a lot of my lineups. I, ha- I made 10 similar lineups and it's, it's, we talk about these near miss wins with the slots and with a lot of other things. And I think they've got it designed. So it's almost feels like you're winning a lot more than you are. So in the beginning, you've got the, the 1 PM games and I had, you know, a lot of 1 p.m. guys going. So throughout that 1 p.m. you know time slot and towards the end of it, I was actually really high up. I remember seeing during the contest, it says what you're winning at that point. So I remember seeing myself winning thousands of dollars thinking, oh my God, I, 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 I knew I could do this. I knew I could do this. And then as the games wound down, it's, you know, it started coming down, people getting ahead of you. I think I won around $400 still. But, you know, I put a hundred bucks in one, 400, but it planted that seed in my mind, you know, look, you, you could win thousands of dollars, top prize. And some of these are a hundred thousand with the football, it's a million dollars, you know, a lot of these, you know, and when they would put these uh, commercials on back then, they would only show the people, of course, that won the million dollars or won the hundred thousand dollar prizes. And it's supposed to be these normal guys and they make it seem like any of us could do it. And I guess technically any of us could do it, but it's all up to chance. I mean, there are some of these guys on there that have developed these programs and uh, you see the same guys winning over and over again. Um, and you almost come to believe that you could be one of those guys. Like I said, I work 16 hours a day. Basically, I, I hardly see my family. I got it in my head that if I could just get this right, that if I could just win this money, 
make our lives easier and and I could be home more. You know, I no matter what, like it was so hard. Like I, I, I wanted to get help so many times. I wanted to come out with it, but I was so fearful I'd lose my family. And they mean more to me than anything. I mean, I started doing this to try to get money to improve our situation. And, you know, of course, as you get further into it, it uh, it snowballs and it gets heavier and heavier. And then you're, you're lost. You don't know how to get out of it. And you think the only way to get out of it is to continue betting. So after that, I kept going for probably five or six months. And then my wife caught me the first time. It was probably, yeah, probably six months after that. She, we were, like I said, we were trying to get a house. So to build my credit up, I had to get some credit cards. So um, I forget who she called, but she called, um, I think it was some somebody who had to run my credit to see about, you know, how it'd be to get a mortgage. And they saw that my, it was only $250 at that time, but that that card was maxed out. And she said, why is this maxed out? How, what did you spend $250 on? And I tried to be like, oh, I got gas, I got food, this and that. I tried to, you know, you're scared. You don't want to, you don't want to be caught. You know, you don't want to, you don't even want to admit to yourself you're an addict. For so long, I didn't even want to admit I was an addict. Um, <coughs> sorry. So she ended up looking at the statement and seeing all these fan duel charges. And at that point, she said, just stop. We're trying to get out of this house. We're trying to save for a house. Don't be spending money on this. She had knew, uh, she had known about, um, I had past drug addictions, you know, when I was in my early twenties, she said, this almost feels like a relapse. We never said it was an addiction. We never acknowledged it was a gambling addiction. I didn't even think about it being a gambling addiction at that point. I just thought I got carried away. So I was fearful. I didn't want to lose my family. I just said, all right, I'm done. And I stopped for about a year. It might have been a little bit more than a year. So in that time period, we it was about May of 2018. So I started the football season in 2017 and stopped in April or May. So about six or seven months. So in September of 2018, that's when we moved from Long Island to upstate New York, about kind of by Saratoga, where the racetrack is. I live fairly close to that. Um, and, you know, things were tough up here. You know, we were saving, we were kind of preoccupied with getting the house. We got up here, we did everything we had to, to get a house. We got, you know, we got, we ended up getting the mortgage and we ended up, um, finally buying our house and getting into our house in July of 2019. And, you know, we had saved for a year and a half, you know, I, I, we had sacrificed so much. It was so difficult. We'd saved all this money and to get in this house, we still ended up needing about $15,000 in help from her dad. So right there, I felt like, again, I didn't do enough. I felt like I wasn't enough. Um, and then after we got into the house and we paid the $21,000, whatever it was for closing costs, we had less than $1,000 in our checking account. I saw the fence was falling down. We needed a new hot water heater. I mean, we had this nice, beautiful house. We'd worked so hard for this is what we sacrificed so much for we've been working for this for so long you know my wife and I met in 2010 we got married in 2012 and finally in 2019 we bought our first house it was everything we had worked for and I just ended up freaking out you know we had this house um, and all I could see was everything that needed to be done and we had no money left I had already felt so terrible about myself for losing the money that I had lost when we lived at my parents house I felt bad that you know, uh, I felt shame about, you know, the fact that I, we needed all this help. And, and after everything, 
we had we had the house, but we had nothing. So I freaked out, made the wrong decision, and tried to get that big win again. I went back into it, went back to the gambling, um, and it started out slow again. I you know I tried ten dollars here, twenty five dollars there, and you know they weren't big bets at first. I was just trying to win the top prize in these contests, and you know of course it never happened, and I ended up maxing out my credit card. And freaking out. I couldn't believe that I had maxed out my credit card. In a, in a matter of about a month, I think I had charged $4,000. You know, I had gotten a few more credit cards in that time span to build my credit up to get the house. And now I had all these credit cards. So I figured, of course, at first you tell yourself, I'll just do one bet. I'll just try it once. And then you either lose. And if you win, you think, okay, well, now let's say you got 50 bucks in your account, but you want to try the higher dollar entries. So with, with DraftKings and FanDuel, there are so many different types of entries you can go into. There are um, the large contest, the GPPs, the guaranteed prize pools. Those typically have tens to hundreds of thousands of people in them. You know, they are typically between $5 and $20 to enter. They'll have a million-dollar prize pool with the top prize being anywhere from 100000 to a million. Um, and then, you know, the contests kind of go down from there or up from there, you know. Um, you can enter up to, I think some of the contests, you could go up to $10,000, you know, if you were going person to person, but you had the, um, the contest where you had tons of people entering, you had head to heads, you had, you know, 10 people would enter. It was a large array. So there were so many contests you could choose from. And of course, if you entered more money into these contests, there'd be less people in them. So your chance of winning would be better. So say in these big contests, so there's a hundred thousand people in it. Now, my thing was basketball. That's what I was best at. So with 100,000 people in there, you'd have to score, say, 400 points, you know, to get near the top prize. But if you entered the higher dollar ones, like the $200 or the $888 slams, um, there might only be 1,000 or 400 people in them. It, you know, you're paying more money. The, um, the prize pools are just as large. But because there's more money, there's less people, you may only have to score 325 points. So you don't have to do as well. So, you know, I would see myself, you know, in these contests scoring in the 370s, 380s, sometimes getting as high as sixth or seventh place, winning, you know, 700, 1,000, you know, thinking, okay, well, if I now I've got this money, now I can invest it or put it into these higher dollar entries. And see, I can do this. I, uh, I got these high points. I, I can do this. And then you put it into the uh, higher dollar ones and, and, and you end up losing because now you've got people with higher skill playing. Um, I have a question, yeah. Steve, about that. Yeah. So th the way to win in fantasy is essentially you're, you're picking a whole bunch of different players to put in that hopefully score enough points so that you get enough points. So it's just, yeah. it's a random selection of people from a, a larger group of people. So if you assigned all those people a number, you're basically selecting numbers. It's Keno like I just as I'm sitting here listening to you, you're 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 picking 12 numbers essentially to play and hope those 12 do well or or are picked for instance. So it seems pretty random and hard. <laughs> um okay, I could I, I see what you're saying. Um it's similar to that. Um so say it's just the three of us, right? We're just doing three people. We each put in 10 bucks. You know, the, whoever is going to win is going to win 30 bucks. So say there's four games going that night, you know, Knicks and Pacers, whoever, you know, 
Hawks, Clippers, you've got the lineups from those teams. You know, every team's got 15 players. So you've got 30, you got 120 players to pick from. So the three of us will go through that, you know, the rosters, and you have to build your lineup within, they give you a salary cap. So with DraftKings, it was $50,000. So a guy like LeBron James, you know, his salary might be ten dollars or $11,000, depending on how well he's doing. And those salaries would fluctuate. Uh, fluctuate. So say he's in a hot streak, he'll go from 10000 up to 12000 With Harden, he'd go from 10000 up to 13000 Westbrook, same thing. You know, they would hover around that top tier. But the bench guys like, you know, Jeff Green, like, you know, just the bench guys, they, they could go as low as $3,500. So you have, with DraftKings, I believe it was nine spots. You had point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center, and three utility players. So you have to pick one of each one of those players from those, uh, you know, from that part of the lineup. And then you could pick three utility or any, any of the other guys. And you have to fit it within that $50,000 salary cap. So it's not like you could pick LeBron, you couldn't pick Harden, you couldn't pick Westbrook, Davis, you couldn't pick all these top tier guys. You'd have to build a balanced lineup. And that's where the skill is supposed to come in. You're supposed to say, okay, well, I know LeBron plays well against this team when he's home, but I know, you know, the sixth man that's coming off the bench, you know, if you look back at the history, you'll see, okay, he scored 20 points the last time they played. He scored 15 points last time. And you, you have to do a little bit of research and see, you know, how well historically do these guys do against this team? So that's where the skill is supposed to come. You're supposed to do your research, see what guys do well against, you know, have they been playing, you know, a lot. They play three games in a row, whereas this team has been off for two days. They're rested. They're not. You know, so so Steve, Steve, let me ask you. So are you picking a team each day that you're playing? Yeah. Every obviously, single- that's why it's going called, obviously, daily fantasy sports. But yeah. how many, first of all, how many, how much time are you spending each day researching it? And are you and and are you actually doing this every day during the season? Um, I typically wouldn't spend a ton of time now on the weekends or you know even at work. Sometimes I might sit there for say ten or fifteen minutes going over the games, going over you know research and stats. And that's why I always thought you know if I could just spend some time at home and and spend all the time I needed to do all this research, maybe I would maybe I would do better. There are some people that's their job. They start the night before they all day. They made it their job. Somehow they do well. And uh, but I've learned that no matter what, you know, some there have been days where I spent a ton of time researching, you know, thinking I I built the perfect lineup. This lineup is definitely going to win and I'll come in the bottom. And then there have been days some of the highest scoring entries have been just click, 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 just picking guys out. You know, they're. You know, it's not like I just randomly picked them, but I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I know Westbrook does well against this guy. I know this guy does just quickly. And I guess that's just from, you know, knowing the sport well and knowing the guys well. But uh, typically, you know, yeah, you could do better if you do more research. But I found it's still so random. You don't know any given night. You don't know what's going on with these guys. You don't know if they're having a problem at home with their wife. You don't know if they, you know, something happened in their family. Maybe he's not feeling well and he's not on the injury report or in the first minute he twists his ankle. Anthony Davis was notorious for that. You put him in and two minutes later he's out and then he's scoring zero points. 
And how much time then are you spending following each game? Me, I would almost never watch the games. I can't really? even tell you. Yeah, I I loved it. I love. I I would sometimes follow it on ESPN. Like I said, I work so much. I almost have no time to sit down and watch games. So what I would do is I would pick the teams. I would set the lineups. And sometimes I wouldn't even look at it all night. I would wait till the morning, almost like that. Uh, it, you know, you have that anticipation, like the anticipation when you're driving to a casino. Well, now I have that anticipation. I'm waking up. Sometimes I would check my email. Did I, do I have an email from DraftKings saying, congratulations, you won. Oh, I know I won. Now, sometimes I'd wait. Sometimes I'd wait half the day to check to see if I won or how much I won. And if I didn't see that email, I'd be like, oh, well, I guess I lost again. Sometimes, yeah, like I wouldn't even go to the site. I'd check my email. It's like you're giving yourself that extra anticipation. That, yeah, that extra dopamine rush of excitement, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I, so it, it seemed the way you were saying it when you said, and, you know, sometimes I would just, oh, I, I just real quick would pick some people. That feels a little more like wishing and hoping and here's a gamble. That feels more gambling than I. Not that it's still not gambling, but if somebody every day was, I'm doing three hours of research into tonight's games and I kind of go, okay, <laughs> like if they're doing all that work, if you did that for every hand of poker, that much research about what beats what, but it, it just, it, it did seem more gambling when it was just sort of, all right, I'm just going to make these picks and be done and, and wish and hope. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's similar to poker in that way. I've never played poker, but from all the stories I hear, like I listen to your pod, you guys' podcast all the time. I listen to other podcasts. It seems like with poker, yeah, the more you research it, the better you do. Like the more you read the books and the more time you spend studying players and studying odds and statistics, it seems like you do well if you know more. But still, at the end of the day, it's still, it's again, once you have that lineup locked, there's, there's nothing, you can't change it. And anything could happen. Yes, there there is more skill in it than just pressing a button, obviously. Um, but it's it's not just a game of skill, and they it should be yeah. classified as gambling to me. It's can you back up a bit because you alluded to other addictions? Can you talk yeah. about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started when I was thirteen. Uh, I just started with drinking alcohol and smoking pot. Um, that progressed to harder drugs, um, basically everything and anything under the sun. Um, I became addicted to opiates. Um, when I was about 18 or 19, I ended up stopping at that point, getting myself clean. I got into working out, um, health and fitness, all that stuff. I went to college. Uh, I was trying to become a teacher. And then in my third year, uh, some stuff happened and I ended up, you know, I just, you know, you start drinking and partying there and then that cuts out of hand. Like, I'm all in with everything, you know, like with, you know, I may start off slowly, but once I, that's why I haven't drank in, in years, because I know if I drink, that could lead to something else for me, because this happened before. So after I came home from college, uh, I think I was 23 or 24, I was addicted to opiates bad for uh, about a year and a half. And I ended up getting myself clean in 2009. Um, I went to Narcotics Anonymous. I found it very helpful, but I think the problem with, for me back then was I didn't focus on all these emotional uh, issues that I have. I didn't have, you know, 
I'm dealing with that in therapy a lot. I, I find therapy to be incredibly helpful. Um, I started going a, a few weeks ago and there's so many great tools, you know, that they teach you, but, you know, I never dealt with the emotional problems I had back then. You know, I had a tough childhood, you know, I, I love my parents, but my parents got divorced when I was 13. I got thrown into a difficult situation and, um, you know, um, both of my parents were kind of into partying at that point. My dad disappeared for about a year. So, you know, I turned to drugs to cope basically. And, um, my therapist was saying, you know, that because of that, you know, I, I felt like I, I wasn't safe. I wasn't, uh, I didn't at 12 or 13, you just want that safety. And, you know, you almost lie to yourself saying, you know, there's no problem. you like, you go, you go to the drugs to kind of, to mask that. So, um, I, don't know, I guess that's how I ended up starting, but I ended up, you know, uh, at 23, 24, that's when I got clean from drugs. Um, and I was good, you know, I've never touched another drug or a drink since then. But like I said, I never dealt with those emotional issues, which is, I think why I ended up, you know, switching over to gambling when I was, you know, 30 or whatever it was in 2017. Um, I can't get my math right. Um, Steve, let me ask you, um, one of the things that really struck me is when you said that um, you weren't even thinking that gambling was an addiction and, you know, especially having been through addictions with substances. And I hear that all the time from people who have uh, not only experienced substance addiction, but even people that are in the field of addiction recovery, gambling isn't on the radar. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't know, do you think some of it has to do with what you indicated you saw gambling as a solution to a financial problem, right? I mean, you saw that, you know, you wanted money to fix up the house that you just bought and you only had limited funds left and you wanted to, you know, do things right for your family. So what do you do? You saw gambling as a solution to that problem. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you can't say that about any other addiction, that there's a potential for it to actually benefit you. I mean, we know that how it plays out, but there's certainly that potential, right? Yeah. Well, like I like I've heard you say many times, like you can't keep drinking to improve your situation. You can't keep using heroin to improve your situation. Gambling is the only thing where you have that ability to possibly improve your situation. Yes, for most of us, it ends up making it a thousand times worse, but there's still that small chance there. Um yeah, you might, it might start off a little bit differently. Like when you're drinking and using drugs, you know, from the very first time you inject heroin or the first time you snore cocaine, that that's a problem. You know, that that's a drug that's, you know, this could be a problem for you. When you start gambling, at, at least for me, I didn't, I didn't, like I said, the whole first time I was addicted to it. I, uh, I didn't even see it as an addiction. I just thought I had got carried away with, you know, my I knew I had an addictive personality or I had some compulsive behaviors, but um, I didn't really realize it was an addiction until the second time around. But the behaviors are all the same, you know, yeah, the lying, the hiding, the uh, just the, this, those emotional feelings that you feel you're trying to either hide from something, you know, it, it might start off as you're trying to fix your situation, but like I, like I realized I couldn't stop. I, I, the way I explain it to my wife is, you know, you're a fish swimming in the ocean. You're swimming along. All of a sudden the dragger net comes by. You don't even notice you're in the net at first. 
you're swimming along and then you get to the end and then your nose hits the end of the net and you turn around you're like oh man I'm, I'm in a net you try to turn around you try to swim out you can't find your way out now you're stuck you can't figure out a way to get out of this addiction like you you don't realize that you're getting yourself into it until you're too far into it and now you have no idea how to get out and i was so scared i was going to lose my family and lose everything i thought i have to fix this myself i have to you know just like with my drug addiction you know when i met my wife i told her a lot about it but i didn't tell her the full story i i didn't want to be seen as an addict to her you know she had never used drugs she was uh, very clean cut like uh, she just never had any issue you know uh, experience with that and she never made me feel judged but it was more myself i felt the shame for how bad my drug addiction had gotten you know the places it had led me to so I wanted to lock that away, put it in my past and pretend it never happened. Now, I tried to do the same thing with the gambling. I tried to fix it all on my own. I tried to so many times try different avenues to try to stop gambling. And sometimes I would stop for a week or a month, but I'd end up back in it when I'd either feel the shame from all the lying or I realize, oh my God, I still have this huge debt. I have to, you know, luckily I didn't have any debts I had to pay aside from my credit cards. Most of what I would do is I would max out my credit card, let's say $4,000, freak out, take a 401k loan or, or take it out to pay that, say, I'm never doing this again. And then the next day I'm like, I just took this for that. I got to replace this because that $4,000 in retirement years, it's going to be 40,000 or 50,000. And I'm going to feel like an a-hole when we retire and realize we should have an extra $200,000. That's uh, very, very common, no matter what, what form of gambling you, you engage in, no matter if it's skill-based, no matter if it's completely random, you know, Brian and I both played slot machines, but so many of the same things that we go through in terms of maxing out credit cards and what we justify to ourselves when we do it. And then afterwards, the regret we feel, I mean, it's, you know, that same, that same cycle that leads to, uh, you know, to, to guilt or shame, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how do you, uh, how do you deal now with, uh, with sports? I mean, you're obviously a, a huge sports fan. Uh, do you watch sports? Does it trigger you at all or? Well, now I've decided that I'm just going to step away from sports. Um, that doesn't mean I will never watch sports again. I know that's not a solution either. I can't put my head in the sand and pretend like there's no sports anymore. Just like we can't put our heads in the sands and, and pretend like there's no gambling anymore. We have to find a way to cope and deal with these things. It's not about just abstinence. You know, it's from what I've been learning in recovery, it's, it's all about changing the way you think and how you handle things. And, uh, you know, to, to, to recover, you can't just only abstain. At least that's how I feel. I feel like, you know, you have to change your thinking. So yeah, with sports, I, I'm not watching anything right now. I, I, uh, I don't get triggered right now. I don't feel any urges or impulses, but you know, it, I'm not going to take my foot off the gas. I'm going to you know, like I said, I work 16 hours a day, but I still listen to your podcasts. Your podcast is basically playing in my truck the whole day when I'm working or when I'm making deliveries, or sometimes I listen to the Invisible Addiction or all the other podcasts. Uh, Jamie's, you know, th there's so many great podcasts out there, you know, for obviously for the longest time, it was just Brian and, and then you and Brian, but it seems like as time's gone on, more and more people are branching out. And I think it's great because 
you know, it's been really helpful for me. Someone like me who I find it hard to get to meetings because a things are closed down still because of COVID and around here, the only meetings that are in-person meetings that are open are, um, during the week. You know, I, I, I went to a few Friday meetings at seven o'clock, but I can't, I can't make it half the time. I'm getting done at nine, 10 o'clock at night. So I, uh, I haven't, I've made it to two in-person meetings, but thank God you have the zoom meetings. So you guys let me into that. And I've been trying to do that, you know, once a week, hopefully I can do it more than that, but you know, I'm just trying to do everything I can to, you know, recover therapy, the zoom meetings, the chat group, the chat group is so helpful. I mean, every, everyone in there has been incredible. Everyone is so supportive. Most of us don't know each other, but we all are going through the same things. You can be vulnerable in there. Like I shared with you guys the other day, you know, when I hit my 60 day mark, I, you know, I, I shared with you what my wife had said, you know, and I mean, would it be our, can I read this off just so people can hear, you know? Sure. Yeah. As long as you don't use names, it's fine. Yeah. So, you know, on my first day, I, I felt like life was over. I felt like I was going to lose my family. And because I'm putting the work in, because I'm, I truly want to change and I want to be a better person. And I, I, I want to be gamble free. I just want to be a better husband and a father. And I've been working, going to therapy, like I said, doing everything I can. So 60 days later, my wife sent to me on, uh, you know, on my 60th day, she said, wow, I can't believe it's been 60 days. There has been so much that has happened in these months. And I'm so happy that you've been able to find yourself again. I feel like you're back to the man I met 11 years ago. We still have so much work ahead of us, but we are doing better than I ever would have thought. Thank you for working so hard at this for me, the boys and yourself. I'm so, so proud of you. I love you so very much. Have a good day. Be safe. I was going to work, but you know, the first day she was deciding on whether or not she wanted to stay with me and I get it. You know, I've been hiding this gambling for two years, lying, you know, it's a lot to deal with, but as I'm I, working so hard. I tell you, I got, I got emotional when I, when you first put it in the group chat and I just feel just as emotional now. It's just, that's such an awesome thing to, to get. Um, and, you know, of course, everybody's spouse or significant other, you know, has their own timeline in terms of forgiveness and all that. But, you know, eventually, you know, we hope that this happens and just a, what a beautiful message that must make, make you feel good. It does. And, but I also realized the, the most important part of that is we still have so much work ahead of us, but we're doing better than I ever would have thought. There's still a lot of work to do. You know, things are better in our marriage. I can absolutely say that she's been an incredible woman. She, she's really rose to the occasion. You know, she didn't sign up for this. She didn't, you know, we, our life was going one way and now it's completely veered off. But, you know, I, I think in the end, this is going to end up and making our marriage better. It's, you know, it's making me be able to be more open. We're able to discuss things that are, you know, I would have never been able to be vulnerable about. And, um, you know, there's still a lot of work to do, but she's been incredibly helpful, you know, just like I have the therapy and I've got the meetings and I've got, she has been so helpful for me. She's, you know, even from the first, you know, I'm sorry, the second day, the first day she was absolutely very angry. She wanted all the information, which she's entitled to. Um, but um, she's been, she's just been there for me. She's been like my, my therapist and I, I love her to death, but uh, you know, the trust is still not there. I mean, she, it's going to take some time. She said it, it's going to take a long time to build the trust back, but she's doing the same thing. She's taking it a day at a time. She's not, you know, at first she'd worry about 
what could happen. What if we get through this and in five years or 10 years, it comes back again. But she's, she's told me she can't live like that. She's not going to live in the what ifs. She doesn't, you know, she's not going to get herself crazy over something that may never happen. And I'm going to work my ass off every day to make sure it doesn't happen. I just, I'm so happy it's done and over with. And I've had no problem, you know, with any of the restrictions now. She will check my email. She'll check everything. She should. She is in charge of the finances now. She takes out 50 bucks a week. And that's what I have, you know, and it's, it's making me better financially. Like I was telling her yesterday, you know, I used to wake up in the morning at four or five or three, four, whatever time I had to be. And I'd be so tired. I wouldn't make myself lunch. I just go to work, spend 10, 20 bucks a day buying lunch and food. Now, I have to make lunch or I'm not eating. You know, I've got 50 bucks a day and that's that's gas included. So basically I got five bucks a day if I want to buy a coffee and a snack or something like that. So it's teaching me now, you know, the value of money to to make sure I make my lunch, make sure, you know, so when eventually I do get access back, if she decides to give it to me, that will be up to her. Um, but uh, it's it's just teaching me to be better with money, essentially. Title your buy it. Your autobiography can be making my own lunch. Your whole <laughs> encapsulates it all into one nice. Yep. Steve, it's been impressive talking with you because you, you so it's not a quick process by any means, but you, you've done all the things that you should do when you stop gambling, and you seem to be in, enjoying them. I is that are you enjoying your recovery? You seem pretty high energy, I, and you're not one. You're you're not one who's short on words or enthusiasm. So. Yeah, sorry. I feel like I, you know, go on tangents and I stumble. No, you know, from listen, I love it when other people talk. Talk all day. <laughs> no, I, I do. I really enjoy doing this because, you know, yes, I may have enjoyed, you know, fantasy sports, you know, when it was free, season long, even at first. Um, and yes, I love sports and the idea of, you know, researching teams. But especially over the last year, I was miserable, you know, hiding this. Uh, living this double life, you know, lying to my wife every day, like just because I wasn't telling her about it, you know, I, it's just, I was just so unhappy and I hated where my life was going. I, I, I was so filled with stress that the fact that it's, that is out, it's over. Now I, I'm finding myself, it feels good to get these things, everything out now, but yeah, I, I enjoy going to therapy. I, there's, there hasn't been one thing I haven't you know, looked forward to doing. I, I don't dread going to meetings. I don't dread, you know, talking about my addiction. I, I don't know. Life is good now. You know, I, I, it's so weird to say that, you know, I'm happy that it happened. I mean, I, I, I wish that I didn't have to have a gambling addiction and hurt my wife and as much as I did for all this to happen. But I really am optimistic about where life is heading right now. You know, I think, like I said, I think it's going to end up making our life and marriage better. And not even just that, it's making me feel better about myself. I really had a poor self-image before this. You know, I, I would have times where I would feel good about myself, feel, feel better about myself. But um, I always felt so much shame about all the stuff I did during my drug addictions. I felt a lot of shame about everything I did during the gambling addiction. And even without the addictions, I would feel shame about the fact that I didn't finish college and, you know, I had to become a truck driver or, you know, like I told you, I, when I, when we first talked, um, when we, when I would go to parties or something and say, you know, I'm a truck driver, I'd say, I'm just a truck driver. And I think you said your friend says the same thing. We're like, uh, I don't know, we've just looked down on ourselves, you know, but um, 
I make great money doing this. Granted, I work 70 hours a week to do it, but I feel good about who I am now. I'm playing my guitar more. I'm writing songs again. I used to be in bands when I was younger. I'm starting to work out again. You know, I, I couldn't do that in the addiction. It just, it just overwhelms you. You, you can't, you know, you can't, it's almost like you can't think about anything else. Yes. I could compartmentalize it so I could be a good, you know, father and a good husband when I'm home. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to appear like something's wrong all the time. Um, but you know, I just, uh, I'm happy now. I'm, I'm glad things are going the way they are. I'm happy for you. You sound great. Oh, well, thank you, sir. You know, one of the things that, um, I hear people really struggle with early on and I struggled with early on, you know, is leaving the past in the past. And, and, you know, just as, as, uh, our friend Denise coined the phrase, you know, I look back, but I don't stare. Um, how have you had any difficulty specifically with the financial losses and the incurring of of debt of you know not thinking about the the what ifs or why did I do that and you you just seem like Brian said you seem so together in such a short period of time uh I absolutely did it really like if we had done this interview 30 days ago maybe even two weeks ago I probably wouldn't sound like this it's really been what really pushed me over the edge with that is going to therapy. I would suggest if you can go to therapy, go to therapy. We just called the 1-800-GAMBLER number. They connected us to our council in our state. They hooked us up with a, a therapist that both my wife are seeing. And it is, it is improving both of us so much. So, but like you had said before that, yeah, I had a hard time dealing with this. I, I Every day I would leave the house crying. I, my wife said, that in our 11 years together, I've seen you cry once when you're, you know, when our, you, your dog died. I probably cried 50 times since this all came out. You know, I just feel so bad and guilty about everything, or I, I was feeling bad and guilty about it. And I still do feel bad about it. But like I said, uh, and like you said, you can't, you can't dwell on it. You can look back at it, but you can't beat yourself up constantly. Yes. You should feel guilt about it, but don't feel shame about it. I, that's what one thing that my, you know, my therapist told me, he asked me, do you know the difference between guilt and shame? Because the first time I was in there, um, in the first five minutes, I used the word shame 10 times. And then he asked me to, you know, asked me to define them both. And that's when he told me that shame is feeling like you yourself, who you are, you are bad. You're a bad person. Guilt is feeling bad about something you've done. And I'm, tr I'm trying not to, or I'm not using shame anymore. I'm not even using try. I'm trying not to use trying anymore. I'm just trying to say, I'm doing these things. I don't feel shameful. Of course, I feel bad. I lied to my wife. I've lost a bunch of money. You know, I was on my phone way too much, not spending, you know, I'd be with my kids, but I'd be on my phone. I, you know, the day before I got caught, we were driving home from my brother-in-law's house and the whole time I'm sitting on my phone, you know, it's, you know, you feel guilt about the time you've lost. You feel guilt about the money, everything. But uh, I can really say I don't feel shame about it. I know I'm not a bad person. I know what I, you know, the choices I made were bad and they led into mistakes and addiction. But that doesn't mean that's who I have to be today or going forward. You know, we can't change anything that's happened to us in the past. You know, we've all to varying degrees had difficult things happen to us. We've made bad choices. And like I said, I feel terrible about what I've done, but I'm going to just look back at them as learning tools. You know, 
not do these things again. Like we're trying to almost change the way we're thinking. Like you can't help what your brain's initial reaction is to a thought, but you can, you know, change how you react to something. You know, you if you have a negative thought come in, you know, you you can change that. You and if you keep catching these things and changing your thought, uh, eventually that will become your first thought. But yeah, I um I I can say I I don't feel the shame anymore, but I'm never gonna forget it. It's not gonna be something that you know we ever forget. You know, I'm gonna teach my kids about it when they, you know, when they get old enough. You know, they're seven and three, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing better than I thought I would after, after 62 days and I'm really optimistic about the future. So you can do, I know, you know, if you're in your early days, it feels like you're never going to get better. You know, life is never going to get better. Your wife's always going to hate you. Your kids are going to hate you. It just seems like life is over. If you're, if you're teetering on the edge, you're not sure if you want to, if you want to come clean about it, I'm telling you the best thing you can do is come clean. I wish I would have just come clean to my wife about it, but not gotten caught because I'm telling you that would have made things a lot easier. They don't want to be lied to. And I don't blame them. Who, who wants to be lied to, you know, but if you can be open and honest about it, you know, it's hard to get these things out. You know, I didn't get everything out the first day. It took, you know, over those first few days is when I finally got everything out. Um, but just, just get it all out. Be open and honest about it. You know, your, your wife or your significant other, they'll process it in the, in their own time. You know, it may take 30 days. It may take 60 days. It may take a year. It's, it's, it's going to be on their time. Um, I, I learned a lot of that from one of your, uh, podcasts in the past on rebuilding trust. That's a good one to go listen to. Um, you know, it's, it's all about when they feel comfortable again, but, um, uh, it, it does get better if you put the work in. If you really want to change, you really truly want to change yourself, and you want to put the work in. Life does get better. You can get better. This isn't this isn't a terminal addiction or a terminal disease. You know, we we can recover from this. It's a good note to go out on. <laughs> Steve, thank you so much. This was great. Thank you so much for doing this and sharing all that. That was really wonderful. Yeah, thanks for letting me you know put this out there. You're, you're gonna you're gonna help a lot of people that are gonna listen to you. So I hope you uh, you give yourself a pat on the back for that. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And we'll see you at a meeting or I'll see maybe if we hit the same one once in that week. I'm a once a week or two myself in those. So oh, cool. I try. Well, when I'm not putting the kid to bed, that's when I'm there. And generally yeah. it's I'm a, like I like the Thursday night one. And uh, all of a sudden, I Jeff, I'm coming. And then all of a sudden, Jeff, I'm still in the kid's room. She's not asleep. I can't <laughs> get her to stop screaming. So but yeah, yep. usually the Thursday night one is the one I get to. Oh, cool. I got to get on one of those then. I typically do the weekends because it's, you know, like I said, I, I'm not getting home until 10, 11 o'clock these days. I know yeah. it's not always like this and, you know, my wife's going to eventually start working so I can cut back on hours and we can have a more balanced life. Um, Cause my wife wants me home with the kids too. She wants me home with her. She doesn't want me to have to do this craziness, you know, working 70 hours a week. I'm happy to do it to provide for my family, but you know, you got to have balance in life too. Well said. I keep I, yeah, like he keeps putting bringing up good points. I'm like, oh, another good ending spot. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Steve and Jeff. Of course, thank you, and thanks everybody for listening. Epic Risk Management. EpicRiskManagement.com. They educate. They raise awareness through their lived experience. They can help your organization learn more about gambling-related harm. So please reach out. EpicRiskManagement.com. Epic Risk Management. This podcast is owned by Lee Street Media, LLC. Music provided by T-Vans.
Remember, this is a podcast. The views expressed on the podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests. If you need help for a gambling addiction, please seek professional help.